Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast has been brought to you by Paleo Valley. They are one of my favorite companies because their products are super pure, full of incredible ingredients. And I want to tell you about their meat sticks. They have 100% grass-fed beef, pasture-raised turkey meat sticks that my family and I love. My kids love these because they have tons of flavor. They're completely free of carbs and sugar, and they have probiotics in them as well. So they're great for your gut, great for supporting your appetite, your satiety levels. They help you uh, feel satiated, and they help you burn fat for fuel. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, GMO-free, and preservative-free. So they are the top of the line. They've got some great flavors that you will absolutely love. And now you can use my coupon code, Jockers, just my last name, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off your order today. Simply go to their website, paleovalley.com, and enter Jockers at checkout, and you'll receive 15% off your entire purchase. The link and discount code are also available in the show notes of today's episode. Once you try these meat sticks, you won't be able to get enough. I mean, my kids love these, my family loves these, and I know you will as well. So try them out, Paleo Valley, and I know you're gonna love them. Well, hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We're doing another Q&A, and today we're gonna talk about some of the best estrogen foods, foods for estrogen detox. We're gonna talk about GERD, or gastric esophageal reflux disease, acid reflux, so many people are, are dealing with this. So we're going to answer some questions in regards to that. We're also going to talk about histamine, high histamine foods, low histamine foods, how to balance your histamine levels. This is something that people really need to be aware of because based on certain genetics and other environmental factors, you may have issues with your histamine metabolism. So we're going to go into that a bit here today. And let's see, we're also going to talk a little bit about polar compounds and cooking oils and things like that. So you're going to get a lot of nuggets here. This is going to be an amazing podcast. And I've got my good friend and health coach, Melissa Noor. She is a health coach extraordinaire, works with people all around the world, uh, doing phone and Zoom consults. And you can reach out to her. She's on our website. And her email is melissa at drjockers.com. I know a lot of our listeners have been working with you, Melissa. But there's a lot of people out there as well that you know, are, are struggling with their health, they've plateaued and, um, you know, they really could use somebody like you to help guide them and create a plan for them. So I want, I want you guys to be aware of that. Um, Melissa's fantastic. And if you haven't listened to our other Q and a podcasts, go back and listen to those. We go through a lot of different things, gallbladder health, parasites. We talk a, a lot about a number of different topics that would be uh, really helpful for you guys as you navigate your health journey. So Melissa, thanks for joining me here today. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. This is one of my favorite things that we do, and I know it provides a lot of value to people. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Well, let's jump in. First question. Yeah. All right. So the first question is from Marcus on Instagram. He would like to know what are the best foods and strategies for GERD? I 
I get it often. And when I take apple cider vinegar, it burns my stomach. Mm, yep. And so this is really good to know because apple cider vinegar for somebody that has acid reflux oftentimes helps. A lot of people see really good results. A lot, of, It's kind of a low-hanging fruit for a lot of people when they have reflux. They just take like a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and let's say four ounces of water. They drink that before the meal. And apple cider vinegar has acetic acid, which is a postbiotic that actually helps to uh, provide compounds that strengthen our gut lining. It also stimulates the production of digestive juices. And oftentimes with GERD or acid reflux, it's not an issue with producing too much acid. It's actually producing too little acid. And therefore your esophageal sphincter, the little muscle that, that protects uh, the esophagus from stomach acid doesn't close and you don't break down food effectively, right? So food just kind of sits in your stomach, doesn't move into the small intestine because we're not getting enough acidity in there. And then the acid that is in there will jump up and hit the esophagus and the esophagus can't really handle that and will notice it as reflux. And so oftentimes apple cider vinegar helps with that. When somebody tells me that apple cider vinegar is actually causing more problems, right? Like they're, they consume it and then they have a sharp pain in their stomach or, or more burning in their stomach, it tells me that the mucosal membrane in our stomach has worn down. So normally we have this mucous membrane and that mucous membrane protects the stomach because again, we need really harsh stomach acid in order to break down meat. In fact, you know, at rest, our stomach acid is typically somewhere between uh, 2.5 to 5.2. And we actually need to get that down, or I'm sorry, uh, 2.5 to 3.2. And we actually need to get that down to, uh, you know, under two, right? So under two pH, which is actually very energy demanding. It takes a lot of energy to do that. So having a helpful strategy like acid, like uh, apple cider vinegar can be helpful. But if your stomach lining is broken down, you're at risk for a stomach ulcer, right? In fact, you know, the next step, once the stomach lining breaks down is actually an ulcer in there where now you've got blood coming out. It's basically, you know, a wound that's in your stomach. And so with that, you know, things that we need to really focus on, I'm going to transition here to you in a second, Melissa, but we need to realize that you're beyond just the point where you have GERD, right? In fact, you actually have the beginnings, possibly even fully developed stomach ulcer. So the way we treat a stomach ulcer is a little bit different than the way there's a lot of crossover, but it's a little bit different than the way that we're going to treat gastric esophageal reflux disease or GERD. So Melissa, where would you want to start with somebody uh, that's dealing with this kind of condition like he is? Well, I would definitely want to start with trying to heal the gut. Like you yeah. were saying with the mucosal lining, um, we need to help repair that. I love supplements like aloe vera, glutamine, mm, yeah. um, marshmallow, and we have a great formula with all of those in it called gut repair. So that's one of my favorites. Um, as far as foods, using liquid nutrition can be helpful. So using a protein like gut healing protein, along with some berries and unsweetened coconut milk, that can be a soothing way to get in nutrition. Um, you also want to make sure that you're not drinking too much liquid with your meals. That's mm. a big mistake I see people make. And there was advice when I was younger, it was like diet advice to drink a lot with the meal so you wouldn't be as hungry when you ate. But that's terrible advice because it dilutes what stomach acid you have. And then um, you're not going to break down food as well. So um, you can use fermented foods. Those would be helpful in fermented vegetables. 
you just want to avoid if you actually have an ulcer or GERD, then you need to make sure you're avoiding things that are acidic because that can cause more burning and do a like broths and soups would be great to eat instead. Um, and just give your stomach time to heal. I mean, it can heal. I've had clients with ulcers, they can heal, um, but it just takes some time and you've got to avoid anything that's going to aggravate the ulcer and cause more um, breakdown of that mucosal lining. Yeah, that's uh, that's so important. And there's a lot of different herbs that really help to stimulate the production of mucus. And you mentioned a few of them, uh, things like aloe vera. There's also marshmallow root, which works well, slippery elm. So a lot of these herbs you can get in teas and drink teas. Ginger is very supportive there. Um, also helps reduce inflammation in there. Um, there's also a supplement called deglycerinated licorice root, DGL, right? And so licorice root in general, you'll find that in a lot of... Uh, teas and things like that. That's very beneficial. Uh, DGL, they just take out a compound that may pot potentially increase the cortisol half-life, which some people with high blood pressure struggle with. Um, but you'll find this supplement DGL and usually doing some high doses of that one to two grams or so uh, kind of spread out throughout the day can be really, really helpful there. Um, other compounds, anti-inflammatory types type things. We talked about ginger, quercetin can be really helpful. Zinc, particularly a type of zinc called zinc carnosine. A lot of good research on that for helping support the uh, gut mucosa and just the immune component in the gut to reduce inflammation there. So those are things that I'm looking at. Hey, chamomile tea actually is another great one. Chamomile tea, drinking that. Um, so a lot of these teas, you can find supplements to help support that. Um, all of that can be helpful. And for somebody that is dealing with an ulcer, um, you know, doing some liquids, like more liquid nutrition, like uh, protein shakes with, let's say, like collagen protein or bone broth protein, which is very supportive because uh, the the stomach lining itself is collagen, right? So you're getting a lot of the same, the key amino acids like glycine, proline, hydroxyproline to help uh, restore and build that gastric lining. So that can be super helpful, right? So doing all those types of things, staying away from you know, highly acidic types of foods like tomatoes, um, a lot of times nightshades, people with, um, with the ulcer struggle with nightshades in general, particularly the tomatoes and the peppers. Um, and a lot of that has to do again with the acidity there. So that, that can be an issue. Um, I would stay away from like really small seeds as well. That could be an issue there too. And try to, you know, cook your food really well. Um, so it's not really tough and hard. That's important, but a lot more liquid nutrition um, can be really helpful. So drinking, you know, doing soups and broths and things like that, uh, you know, to where like if you're having meat where it almost kind of flakes off the fork, you know, like when you cook your chicken soup and you cook the chicken down really well. So it's not tough and hard to break down. That's important because your body's not producing enough stomach acid. So that's kind of the initial step there to get them through that, you know, to get the gastric lining healing. Now, going back to GERD, if somebody has GERD and they don't have, uh, you know, they're able to tolerate apple cider vinegar, then that's a fantastic strategy. A lot of people just doing that see really significant results. And then on top of that, you know, food elimination diet, taking away the things that we are always talking about, eliminating things like gluten, um, you know, processed foods in general, sugar, uh, conventional dairy, these things can all be triggers. A lot of times, again, nightshades can be an issue. So look out for those. You, you may respond fine to nightshades like peppers and tomatoes, but somebody else might not. They're a common trigger there. So look out for that. Look out for anything that you're doing that you just notice more increase in symptoms when you're consuming it. 
And then I always recommend, you know, if you're dealing with GERD, eat your protein, the protein portion of your meal in the beginning of the meal, because actually that gets down into your stomach, kind of sits at the bottom of the stomach where you need most of the acid and then eat the, you know, the vegetables, or if you're having starches or anything like that, eat that afterwards, because you don't need as much acid to break that down and metabolize that. And a lot of people notice that they feel better when they do that, you know, just a couple other things, probiotics. A lot of people see really good results when they just add in probiotics or digestive enzymes, right? It's a good combination to take. And then, you know, there is also betaine HCL or, you know, which is a stomach acid support. And again, with acid reflux, the majority of the time, the individual actually is not producing enough stomach acid. They actually need more. And I actually misspoke earlier. I mentioned uh, your stomach acid at base is actually around three to 3.5. I had my numbers mixed up. I said 2.5 to 3.2. It's actually three to 3.5 pH. If you remember back to chemistry class, water is seven, right? And you know the, 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 the lower the number, the stronger acid it is. And so we want to get that actually down between 1.5 and 2.2 to break down and metabolize meat. Like if you're going to eat a steak, you need good stomach acid uh, production in order to break that down effectively. If you don't have enough, again, it's just going to sit there. It's going to rot. It's going to putrefy. It's going to release gas. And that gas can cause the acid reflux. It'll push up into the esophageal sphincter with, um, with the acid and jump into the esophagus and you'll, you'll have that unwanted side effect. So be careful with the amount. You know, If you're doing steak, things like that, I think grass-fed steak is a great food. I know Melissa agrees. But just be careful with the amount. You might be overeating it. Um, I would do it first thing in the meal. I would do something like apple cider vinegar before the meal. You can also do something like our BT and HCL challenge test as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Melissa? Yeah. So um, basically, you try HCL and you see what if you have any burning, and you can increase the number of capsules that you're taking or the amount that you're taking to see at what point do you get burning, and that would be where you would want to stop. Um, and, you know, another thing I, I want to make sure, I, I get this question all the time, is when do you take the HCL? Mm. Because what I've seen is if people wait until the end of the meal when their stomach's already full of the food and they take the HCL afterwards, then that acid in the HCL can actually cause some burning. Yeah. So I always recommend to take your digestive enzymes or your HCL at the very beginning of the meal. Um, I just see that it works better for people. Um, one last thought too is on testing. So um, I'm a huge fan of testing as my clients know. It's just important to find out why. It's not normal to have GERD. You know, it is so common that a lot of people think it's normal and it's not. So what is causing that? And often it can be pathogens or um, your immune system in the gut is not um, functioning well, and we can test those things with a simple stool test. So I um, really encourage you to test rather than just guessing. I mean, these strategies can certainly be helpful, but it's also good to identify any pathogens that may be at issue and address those to really see yeah. healing. Yeah, that is important, especially if you've tried a few of these things and you just haven't seen any results. You know, the most common infection, the most common gut infection out there is actually an H. pylori right? Uh, infection. Yes. And so this infection, um, you know, H. pylori will actually bed itself and bed itself in the stomach, right? In the stomach lining and shut down the proton pumps, which produce stomach acid. And that could obviously affect your protein absorption, drives up inflammation in your gut, wears down, you know, when somebody has an ulcer, the most common cause for that, it could be like 
you know, there are some other causes like, uh, like overuse of NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are a common cause. Um, however, the most common cause worldwide is H. pylori infection because it shuts down stomach acid production and eats away at the mucus lining, drives up inflammation in there. It's going to reduce your ability to absorb vitamin B12, which you need. Um, you need good acid to produce, to be able to absorb B12 through, through this protein called intrinsic factor. Um, it's also going to reduce your ability to absorb iron, zinc, and key minerals. And so H. pylori is a really big issue. I know, Melissa, you've been uh, treating a lot of people with H. pylori as well. Yes, definitely. I mean, um, it's very common. I see it all the time on GI map. It, it'll come back high. And, you know, H. pylori is an infection that can lead to ulcers. So back to the, you know, what we started with talking about ulcers, H. pylori is one of those underlying causes of ulcers. So because of the mechanisms that you just discussed. So testing's great. And, you know, we have um, effective strategies for addressing H. pylori. We have a, a great protocol that we use that's, yeah. you know, been tested. So, yeah, definitely yeah. reach out if you're dealing with these issues or you want to look into testing or, you know, just reach out by email to me and I'd be happy to direct you on the right test to do. Yeah, super um, important. And one last thing here, I've actually seen a lot of correlation with people that have weight basically weight loss dysfunction or weight loss resistance and high insulin, even though they're, you know, doing intermittent fasting, they are exercising, they're eating a low carb diet, yet their insulin kind of stays high. Now this is, doesn't happen to everybody, but there's a certain cohort of the population that I've seen this where, you know, we look at their gut, we see, oftentimes we'll see H. pylori infections in there. And I think one of the reasons is that they're not breaking down and metabolizing protein well. So they're not, it's, it's harder for them to actually build good, healthy muscle tissue. You know, muscle tissue is one of the best ways if the more lean body tissue, your body's able to build healthy bone and, and muscle is one of the most, one of the best ways to get insulin down under control because you can store so much sugar in healthy, active muscles. And therefore you don't need as much insulin. Your body doesn't need as much insulin uh, to produce, and it can bring down your insulin levels and uh, help you burn fat more effectively for fuel. So if you're struggling with weight loss resistance as well, I think it would be a good idea to get checked for H. pylori, especially if you're having acid reflux, you know, you're noticing symptoms like that. Um, look for this bacterial infection. Yes. Awesome. Great. I just want to interrupt this podcast, to tell you about the importance of vitamin C. We know vitamin C is a critical immune boosting nutrient that most people are deficient in. But did you know that vitamin C is also a very important nutrient for anti-aging? You see, vitamin C is the glue that holds collagen together in your body. Collagen is what makes up your skin, your hair, your nails, your gut lining. If your collagen is weak because you're deficient in vitamin C, then you're gonna end up with saggy skin. You're gonna end up with more cellulite. You're gonna end up with a weak immune system. You're gonna end up with age spots on your skin. You're gonna end up with more inflammation in your body from leaky gut. And so vitamin C is really critical, but here's the thing. Not all vitamin C supplements are created equal. Most of them are not very bioavailable and they simply pass through your digestive system, creating expensive urine. However, our friends over at Purality Health have a patented formula that I'm really excited about, and it utilizes something called micelle liposomal technology, which delivers the nutrients into your bloodstream, and it's proven to be 800% more efficient at delivering these nutrients 
than your standard supplements. So if your skin is looking older than you and the appearance of fine lines, wrinkles, age spots, sagging skin, and otherwise old looking skin frustrates you, then give Purality Health's MyCell Liposomal Vitamin C a try. It's backed by a 180 day money back guarantee. So you really have nothing to lose. You can get your money back if for some reason it doesn't work for you. And today we have a 30% off coupon just for you. Just visit PurityHealth.com and use the coupon DRJ to access 30% off your purchase today. Again, 180 day money back guarantee. Just go to PurityHealth.com. Use the coupon code DRJ, just all one word, DRJ, to access 30% off your purchase today. All right, so let's move on to the next question. This is Maria from Instagram, and she wants to know what are the best foods and supplements to improve joint pain? Yeah, joint pain. So joint pain, obviously, we're always thinking inflammation, right? And so things are going to help bring down inflammation in general, you know, as far as diet goes, we want a lower carbohydrate diet, high in healthy proteins, healthy fats. We talk a lot about this, but we like to get, you know, our, our, our nutritional approaches. We want to maximize nutrients, minimize toxins. So we want to reduce the amount of sugar and grains they are going to drive up inflammation in our body. So we reduce those. We get rid of all the refined seed oils. So that's your cottonseed oil, corn oil, you know, sunflower, safflower oils, all the different seed oils. And then we focus in on healthy fats, extra virgin, particularly high polyphenol, extra virgin olive oil. You know, I've done several interviews on this podcast with experts looking at this. This is one of the best things you can be putting in your body. There's a certain type of polyphenol called oleocanthals that outperform non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen, things like that. Every time they're studied head to head when it comes to reducing inflammation, and there's no, you know, side effects, right? So you don't have the, uh, you know, like we just talked about NSAIDs will wear down your stomach lining. So you're getting better benefit there. So olive oil, put a lot of high polyphenol, extra virgin olive oil. I like this company, um, fresh pressed olive oil. They're really good. There's another one called, uh, cure, right. That is really good. So go back to some of the podcasts or articles on our site on olive oil. And we have, uh, the ones that we recommend, but olive oil is so good for your body. You know, getting a lot of dark green leafies, getting a lot of good quality, a high polyphenol foods, which are going to be all your different colorful vegetables, right? So, um, you know, you've got things like red onions, you've got things like um, dark chocolate, green tea, things like that, that have these polyphenols really bring down inflammation in the body, good quality protein, grass-fed meats. And, um, you know, so that's kind of the, the, the foundation, the staple points when it comes to the diet. And uh, practicing intermittent fasting, right? Doing intermittent fasting is going to bring down inflammation. It's probably the top uh, nutritional strategy, even though you're not actually eating food, to bring down inflammation in the body is actually just condensing your eating window. Instead of eating from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, condensing it down, eating in, let's say, an eight-hour eating window from like 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. or something like that, it's going to give your gut time to rest and heal, your gut lining. We know inflammation really starts in the gut. So it's going to do that. It's also going to bring down insulin and, and help stabilize your blood sugar. And if you can get your gut healthier, stabilize your blood sugar and your insulin, that's going to bring down overall inflammation throughout your body. And there are, are a bunch of different herbs as well and supplements. So Melissa, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, so a 
And um, a couple of my favorites are Boswellia um, mm. and that in curcumin, those are both in our inflamed defense product that I yeah. use on a lot of my clients. And then pro omega CRP. So fish oil or omega three fats are really great for reducing inflammation and improving joint pain. Um, you were, you were mentioning the intermittent fasting and it made me think about excess weight and its contribution to yeah. joint pain. I mean, that's one of the key strategies is to try to, you know, lose that excess fat that promotes inflammation throughout the body, because that's going to really lead to more joint erosion. Um, and then hydrating well. So it, we talk a lot about food for joint pain and reducing those anti-inflammatory foods, but we also need to have optimal hydration because it helps to lubricate the joints and that helps to reduce that pain and inflammation. So make sure you're drinking at least half your body weight in ounces of water a day. So if you're a 150 pound individual, you would need to drink 75 ounces of water, clean filtered water a day. And you can add some lemon every morning. I have I squeeze half a lemon in my water just to go ahead and start my day with um, that hydration first thing. And it gives me flavor. It helps to support digestion and detoxification. So, but those would be some additional strategies in addition to the supplements. Um, and yeah. Another vitamin D3 and magnesium mm. are two that I think about. And don't forget um, collagen. So Dr. Jackers mentioned earlier that collagen protein, that's great to use. Um, I use collagen in my smoothies to help support joint and collagen. Um, and if you're curious, there's our, the genetics test that we use. The, one of the pathways that um, is tested there is joint and collagen. So you can learn if it's a genetic issue for you. Yeah, for sure. And that is interesting. You know, when I got my genetic test done, I was very susceptible, very susceptible to problems with my collagen, right, in my joints. So um, Me there's too. different measures <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. And we have a similar body type, right? Yeah. And so there's there's definitely measures that you can take and probably the most well-researched things you mentioned vitamin D um, there is good research that shows when you're very deficient, right? So the way that um, deficiency in vitamin D is looked at as under 30 nanograms per milliliter, very deficient is considered under 20 nanograms per milliliter. So the people that are under 20 nanograms per milliliter tend to have, there's an association between them having more of this sort of chronic pain type of issue, right? So getting your vitamin D levels up is so critical. Getting sun exposure is really the best way, good regular sun exposure. But of course, you can also supplement with vitamin D as well. So you want to look for that vitamin D3 and also taking it with K2 and magnesium can be helpful as well. Um, because all those work together to get calcium out of the bloodstream into the bones, help support uh, and strengthen the bones and the collagen tissue, right? And you mentioned collagen protein, you're getting, you know, the key amino acids that you need uh, with that. So that can be helpful. And then just as far as herbs go, you mentioned turmeric, um, boswellia, which is also frankincense, right? So you may have heard of frankincense. Ginger is pretty well researched to bring down inflammation in the body. Um, proteolytic enzymes. So these are enzymes you take away from meals. You know, typically your enzymes are taken with meals to help you digest the food. With proteolytic enzymes, you take them away from food and they get into your bloodstream. And what they do is they break down circulating proteins. So when we think about inflammatory cytokines and things like C-reactive protein, these are proteins, right? And so they're protein messengers that are telling the immune system, hey, we've got problems here. We've got you know, all these danger associated, uh, you know, mediators that are circulating. 
And so we need to drive up, we need to turn up inflammation throughout the body, right? Particularly, you know, if you're genetically susceptible in the joints and that the proteolytic enzymes will break those down. So they'll get less of that inflammatory message. And they also can actually help to repair damaged tissue, right? So they help to repair right. the damaged tissue and speed up the healing process. So absolutely. We work with a lot of people with chronic pain. Definitely reach out to Melissa. She can help you with this. She's helped a lot of people uh, dealing with joint pain. Yeah. And moms and dads, vitamin D is not just an adult deficiency. I have a young a child that I'm working with right mm. now and he, they tested his vitamin D. It was 20, which Dr. Jockers just said is very deficient. And his pediatrician told the parent that everything was normal on the oh labs. There was nothing. Yes. Yeah, so two points, kids can have vitamin D deficiency. This child's spending a lot of times, a lot of time inside on screens and so that's a goal that we're working on but another is to get copies of your labs and look at them because they can be flagged and things can be missed so always be your own health advocate get copies of everything that is tested and ask for vitamin d and we've got a yeah. great comprehensive blood panel called the comprehensive blood analysis that looks at crp which dr jockers was talking about um, includes a lot of things but it also includes vitamin d um, so, you know, be sure if you're, if you're going to your doctor to ask for vitamin D and if they won't run it, run your own test. It's really yeah. quite a value. If you see all that's included in this test, it's hard for people to get anything covered with insurance that would be this comprehensive. So just something else to consider because yeah, knowledge super, is power. <laughs> super critical. And one note on that too. I mentioned how deficient in the medical world is considered under 30. Well, in the functional world, really where we see greater health breakthroughs is when you get up over 50 and really up over 60. Okay. And there's yeah. very low risk of getting vitamin D toxicity. Okay. We typically use a reference range of 60 to hundred, but you know, even if you're like 120, that's, there's actually been no reported signs of toxicity till you're up over 150. And you can get there if you're doing really high doses, but you know, if you're monitoring it and you're taking kind of a standardized dose, you know, somewhere between let's say five, 10,000 I use a day on a, on a regular basis. Maybe if you have, you know, and a, you know, if you develop, if you get a viral infection or something like that, you might bump it up for a few days to support your immune system. But in general, if you're taking somewhere around one to 2000 international units per pound of body weight, like five to 10,000, maybe even 15,000, it's gonna be really hard for you to get to that toxicity level. So, um, so vitamin D is very low cost, easy supplement to take, but of course the optimal way is the sun because the sun, you get so much more biophotons. Um, you get more activation of your mitochondria. There's a whole lot of more, you get near and, and uh, red, you get red light, near infrared light. You, there's a whole lot of more um, anti-inflammatory activity that comes when you're getting sun. You're only getting part of that when you're taking the supplement. So take the supplement when you're not able to get sun, but ideally trying to get good quality sun exposure on as much of your body as possible is going to really help. Yes. Awesome. Well, we have such a good time doing this that we get very detailed and comprehensive yeah. and then our time starts to run out. That's so true. Let's, let's see. Um, let's, let's do a couple of more. So the next one we talked about estrogen. So let's go over Rachel's from Facebook. What foods are best for estrogen balance in the body? Yeah. So when I think about estrogen balance, first thing I think about is balancing blood sugar, right? When your blood mm -hmm. sugar's out of balance and you're getting insulin surges, insulin is going to provoke more estrogen in your system. So I think of that first, getting your blood sugar stable. We've already talked about that. And we have a lot of podcasts that have talked about that. That's super important. Um, but then there's other things too, that really help 
with the liver because the liver is constantly detoxifying uh, estrogens in our system. And these are estrogens that our body is making as well as xenoestrogens or artificial estrogens that are coming in from our cosmetics, coming in from um, you know hormones that are in meat, uh, like conventionally raised meat and dairy products and things like that. So you know, we want to support the liver. Obviously, we want to clean up the diet, clean up toxins in general, and then support the liver. So I always think about uh, bitter is good for your liver, right? And so bitter herbs, ginger, we mentioned that earlier, apple cider vinegar can be very supportive. Um, dandelion, cilantro, radishes. So anything that's kind of got kind of a bitter flavor, parsley, right? These things are all very, very good for supporting liver function. Even coffee, Right now with coffee, you want to make sure you're not getting conventional coffee because that's loaded with pesticides that will damage your liver. But coffee is a bitter. And for some people, you know, people that metabolize caffeine well, um, it can actually help support liver health. Right. And you want to make sure, again, you're getting organic, mycotoxin free, shade grown, ideally. Um, but that can be supportive. In fact, people will do coffee enemas, right? Taking it in the backside to help uh, clean out the bile ducts, right? And, and help, uh, clean out any sort of sludge in your bile ducts and increase your liver glutathione levels. So that can be really, really helpful as well. And you got to get your bile flowing, right? And that's super key. Um, so there are different compounds, bile salts that work really well. Tudka is one that we use, choline, taurine. These are bile salts that help thin the bile and help move it through the system. And bile is what actually grabs up toxins like estrogens in our system and helps move it through our feces, right? It comes out our through our you know through our stool, um, and helps grab that up. And it combines with fiber, right? And that's why fiber can be really really important here as well. Yes, yes. Um, cruciferous vegetables are mm. one of my favorites for supporting estrogen metabolism because we're we're really talking about with estrogen balance is trying to ensure that you're not estrogen dominant, that your estrogen is not too high in ratio to your progesterone. And so the Dutch test is a dried urine test that will show us how you metabolize estrogen. There's three phases of estrogen metabolism. The first phase is there's different pathways. So you want to be metabolizing more down the protective pathway versus the others. And we can test and see, and there's things you can do if you are metabolizing estrogen more down the harmful pathways. So good thing to look at. Um, but cruciferous vegetables are really great for supporting that estrogen metabolism. So trying to make sure that it's being metabolized down that protective pathway. Uh, they also have sulforaphane. And that has, um, it's been found to have breast cancer protective properties and a lot of health benefits. So those foods would be like broccoli sprouts, um, kale, cauliflower, broccoli, and watercress, cabbage, all of those foods can help with that estrogen metabolism. We talked about fiber, which is really critical, um, like fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds. My favorite seed for estrogen metabolism is flaxseed. All of my female clients know this because I was do a, doing an article for Dr. Jockers on biblical nutrition, and one of the foods was flaxseed. And I came across this amazing review on the benefits of dietary flaxseed, and it cited hundreds of studies in the review, but it talked about the strategies, all the, the benefits of using flaxseed. And since then, I've been a big proponent because one of those benefits was for breast health and estrogen um, metabolism. So 
Uh, you always want to buy whole flax seeds, store it in the refrigerator, grind it as you use it. I usually put it in my smoothie that I was talking about earlier. Um, so those would be some of my favorite foods. Mm. Always make sure too. one thing I see um, a lot of women doing is drinking out of plastic bottles or using other endocrine disruptors. These are synthetic compounds and they interfere with our endocrine system. So they can actually mimic estrogen in the body and contribute to excess estrogen. And that yeah, will actually sure. block the effect of true estrogen. So really important, important to avoid those things. And that's plastic bottles, food cans are lined with BPA, which is a um, estrogen mimicker, um, flame retardants, a lot of cosmetics. Um, so just some other, other things to think about. Yeah, super important. I recommend drinking out of glass or like a stainless steel. You're going to have less of those xenoestrogens or really none of them. Uh, or mugs, a lot of times, you know, mugs and things like that will work, but trying to do your best to avoid plastic, getting really good filtration on your water systems. Um, that can be helpful. Dandelion tea, like I talked about and growing your own sprouts is actually easier than you think. Um, we actually have a little, a little pod from, I believe it's ingarden.com. I could be wrong with that. Um, we'll have to put a link in the show notes, but basically it's just like a little starter set. Um, and they even have like a, like a UV light that comes with it. So you can just put it on your windowsill or you can put it in your kitchen and you just get seeds and you put water in it. And then you turn on the light during the daytime, the little light that they have, and it, it just grows on its own. And then you just grab some, um, and you put it, you know, there's watercress sprouts, there's radish sprouts, broccoli sprouts, kale sprouts, right? All these have sulforaphane, diendylmethane, these powerful compounds that help move your estrogen, down a healthier pathway. So very easy thing that you can add to a lot of your meals. So really good, really good strategy there. Yeah. Awesome. And you know, the gut also plays a huge role in estrogen metabolism. Mm. A lot of people don't know this, but there's a subset of the microbiome called the estrobilome and the estrobilome are, are gut bacteria that modulate estrogen metabolism. So they affect whether estrogen is excreted from the body. Like Dr. Jockers was talking about, we want this excess estrogen excreted, not recirculated. So it, um, it, it can, modulate and affect whether that happens. So really important to support the gut microbiome. And there's a beta-glucuronidase is an enzyme produced by the estrobilome. And going back to that stool test I was talking about earlier, we can test for beta-glucuronidase. So if that's high, there's things like calcium deglucurate you can take to reduce that. So the gut's so key for everything, you know, so we we always, everything kind of goes back to the gut. And that's why one of our main strategies when we're working with our clients is to heal the gut. And a lot of my clients will say, I don't have gut issues. But then when we're peeling back that onion, they do have gut issues. So just something else to an interesting thing about um, estrogen and the microbiome. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to let you know that if you are a coffee drinker, I have some critical information you need to know. You see, coffee is the number one source of antioxidants people are consuming all around the world. It's rich in chlorogenic and caffeic acid, which are polyphenols that stabilize your blood sugar, support gut health and improve your brain. And they also stimulate autophagy and deep cellular healing. So coffee has many amazing health benefits, but there's a dark side to coffee. It often carries mold 
dangerous mycotoxins and is heavily sprayed with pesticides that lead to chronic disease. It's also acidic, causing stomach issues, and many have to stop drinking coffee as they get older because it irritates their stomach lining. That's why I started drinking Life Boost Coffee. I wanted something that had all the health benefits with none of the mold and chemicals found in regular coffee. Plus, it's a shade-grown coffee, which is naturally a low-acid coffee that doesn't hurt my stomach. And they have hundreds of testimonials of people who couldn't stomach traditional coffee who can now enjoy coffee on a daily basis without any digestive discomfort. They also third-party test for 450-plus toxins, including mycotoxins, molds, heavy metals, pesticides, and even glyphosate, just to make sure it's the cleanest, healthiest cup they can provide to their customers. I also really like these guys because they build schools for their farmers' children near the coffee farms where they harvest their, their coffee beans. And their corporate sponsors are the Rainforest Trust to prevent deforestation and protect wildlife. They really care about the environment. And because you're listening to my podcast right now, you can get 50% off your first order by going to www.lifeboostdeal.com. Dot com. That's lifeboostdeal.com. They are, again, shade-grown, low-acid, clean and free of toxins, and they taste amazing. Just go to lifeboostdeal.com to get 50% off now. So what do you think, Dr. Jarkers? Are we done for today, or you want to do another one? Let's do one more. I know we had mentioned histamine, right? Yes. So we talked a little yes. bit about that in the intro. So let's look at that one. Okay, so Jan, um, she would she says she struggles with histamine intolerance. She's on a low histamine diet. She's been told bone broth can contain histamines, but she wants to heal her gut. What do you recommend? Any smoothie recipes I can tolerate? And it's really interesting because I've had I had a client once who came to the clinic and she had major histamine issues, and she was doing bone broth. And once she figured out when I shared with her that that was high in histamine and she removed that food, she did a lot better. So it is tricky though, because bone broth is so healing for the gut. So what would you say to use instead? Yeah. And this is important because a lot of a popular diet that really helps people, a lot of people with gut issues is the GAPS diet. And the GAPS diet really focuses in on things like fermented foods and bone broth and things like that, that are higher histamine. So when somebody has histamine issues and they're not responding well to the bone broth, the apple cider vinegar, fermented foods in general, when somebody's not responding well to that, we have to start thinking histamine. We have to start thinking histamine mm -hmm. issues. And so when it comes to histamine, we want to make sure that, you know, really the, I would say the, one of the best diets that works with histamine is, you know, a lower carb, high protein, very fresh diet, right? So typically people with histamine issues do very well with a lot of green leafies, right? And I, I like, you know, I've gotten a really good kick with uh, arugula, for example. Arugula is a little bit lower oxalate yes. and very good. It's another great one for the liver. It's got this kind of natural bitterness to it. Um, so it's lower in oxalates than spinach, works really good. So kind of arugula base, then you go ahead, you cook your meat, okay? And the issue with people with histamine issues, oftentimes they don't do well with leftovers, right? Because as the food kind of sits, it builds more histamines, um, that can be reactive. So you're you're cooking your meat fresh, and then you know putting olive oil, like extra high polyphenol, extra virgin olive oil, like I was talking about on there. Doing salads like that for smoothies, coconut milk tends to be lower in histamines, right? So you can do coconut milk if you're able to do whey protein. That is an option. 
Okay, whey protein can be lower in histamines. Now, some people have a sensitivity, but usually when it comes to dairy, the most common sensitivities are casein um, and lactose, right? And so if it's like a whey, straight whey, some people, they do well with that. If you just don't feel good with that, um, you know, you could just put eggs, honestly, like some people will just put eggs in their protein shake, right. For a great protein source. So just some raw eggs. We even have a great, uh, very popular ice cream recipe, our vanilla, uh, custard ice cream. It's a coconut custard ice cream where we use eggs, right, right in there. And we, we freeze the, the batch and we make a, a great ice cream. So you can make it with just eggs, which are a low histamine food, very, very bioavailable protein, lots of healthy fats in there, lots of nutrients. Eggs are super nutri nutritious. So you can do that. Um, you know, you can put in, you know, there are certain berries, you may know this a little better than me, which berries are lower histamine. I believe blueberries are. Yeah. So with fruit, it's really just the non-citrus fruits. Most yeah. people can tolerate citrus is a no with histamine, but the other fruits are well, bananas. That would I know be strawberries, one bananas, histamine. and avocados uh, are higher histamine. Strawberries are, are, are a berry, which I love strawberries, but they are higher histamine. Yeah. yeah but you so. can do, you can do blueberries, uh, raspberries. Those are both lower in histamines, right? Cherries lower in histamines. So you can either get like a, like a frozen batch or just get those, um, you know, just get those fresh and throw them in. And uh, that can be great for a smoothie. Yeah. Um, you know, and you don't always have to have a smoothie to heal the gut. Like True. I understand that, but you know, if you're avoid avoiding the histamines can help to heal the gut. So, you know, using the fresh meats, freshly caught fish is great for mm -hmm. um, the low histamine eggs, like Dr. Jockers talked about the dairy substitutes and then fresh vegetables, other than the ones that we talked about, which were, you don't want to use tomatoes, avocados, spinach, eggplant. Those are higher in histamine, but um, the other fresh vegetables, you're taking out a lot of times, the biggest thing with healing the gut is taking out what's aggravating the gut. So those high histamines, just by removing those, you're you're helping to heal your gut. And then you could use some of the supplements that we've talked about when mm -hmm. we were talking about GERD just to, you know, further help. So, but reach out if you need any guidance with that. I love to work with people with histamines and other gut issues. So I'm happy um, to help and work with you also. Yeah. And one final note too, people with histamine intolerance don't necessarily need to avoid higher histamine foods forever. Usually it's just, you know, a short elimination. And then you start to, as you feel better, start to add them back and kind of understand where your tolerance point is. Right. And there are certain foods that tend to provoke more symptoms for some individuals more than others. And it can be unique and bio-individual for that person. So, right. you know, this is really a short-term thing. Usually, I mean, a month or less, along with doing things to help support your gut microbiome, things to help support your immune system. I know quercetin is a really great uh, bioflavonoid that, uh, that really helps to tame histamine. So quercetin, resveratrol works great. Um, improving your zinc levels, vitamin C, glutathione, things like that all really, really are supportive to kind of taming, balancing that immune system. Um, certain probiotics can be really helpful. Some people do great with um, soil base or spore forming probiotics when they're, when they're taking those, when they have higher histamine. So, you know, that's what you want to be thinking is this is short term, right? And then you reduce your histamine load, right? Think about it like a bucket. If the bucket's overflowing, you feel terrible. 
you get that load down. Now the bucket's only, let's say a quarter full. Now you're able to add some more into that bucket without having symptoms, right? And as long as you're doing the right strategies, keeping your stress down, your sleep, um, prioritizing good gut health, moving your bowels well, um, that can really help. And I know for me, when I did my genetic test, I am a poor histamine metabolizer, right? And so, but I do, I'm able to eat higher histamine foods and still feel good, but I do have a certain threshold that will give me brain fog or, you know, uh, just unwanted, just lower energy brain fog if I'm doing too much, right? So I try to keep that balance steady. And so I'm still eating avocados. I love strawberries, right? But I just try to be a little bit more aware and intuitive in how I'm feeling and what kind of foods that I may be consuming that are higher histamine. Right. And, you know, the um, DAO enzyme, that is, yeah. that's what helps to break down histamine and production of DAO can be altered if you have like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is called SIBO, um, certain nutrient deficiencies like copper, uh, vitamin C, um, B6, and then leaky gut can contribute to poor DAO function. And then also the, the genetic um, issues that you were discussing. So, um, you know, more things to look at. And then once those are addressed and the DAO production improves, then you could eat more high histamine foods. So, yep. you know, it's just always about um, trying to look at the why, addressing the why, and then you can see the improvement. Yeah, so key. Well, this has been great. We didn't get to all yes. of our questions, but that's okay. We wanted to be thorough with our answers and we've got a lot left for, for next time. And if you guys have questions, we're just grabbing these from, from YouTube, from Instagram, from Facebook, wherever you guys are posting these. When we see good questions, um, we like to answer them in this sort of format because we're able to give a really thorough answer that, um, you know, that, that, that helps break this, this area of concern down and really gives you kind of all the, all, everything you need to know about that answer. So that's, that's uh, something that we like to do. So if you have questions, you know, leave them on this YouTube video or on our Instagram, um, you know, wherever, wherever you're, you're, you're finding us, you can also email us at info at drjockers.com as well and leave your question. And we may, uh, we may put it on the list to answer in this format. So guys, again, you can reach out to Melissa, right? Her email is Melissa at drjockers.com. You can also find her health coaching page on our website as well. Just go into the coaching tab. Melissa's working with people all around the world with all these types of conditions that we talked about today and a lot more. And so reach out to her if you're in need of some support and some help. And thanks again, Melissa. And, oh, I uh, loved it. I had fun. Yeah. Awesome. All right, guys, we'll see you on a future podcast. Everybody be blessed. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.